Hey everyone, welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato, founder and fitness coach of Thrivology in Alexandria, Kentucky. Today we're going to continue our conversation about stolen focus, Johan Hari's book, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again. Uh, this is the first book that we've reviewed so far. I'm looking forward to reviewing many more books in the future. Um, if you'd like to follow along, if you'd like to get a copy of these notes, which I'll be going over today and which we started at the last episode, you can go to thrivology.us slash goodwolfbooks and find Stolen Focus there, as well as uh, your ability to download the notes so that you can have them for yourself or follow along. What we went over last time were four of the nuggets of wisdom that we pulled from Stolen Focus. Number one was your bouncer needs a rest. That is your prefrontal cortex, the front of your brain, which is your executor. In other words, it makes you do the hard thing when it's the hard thing to do, when you know it's a hard thing to do. Um, it gets tired from the speed of information, from filtering information, and from multitasking. And we want to reduce those things as much as possible so that our prefrontal cortex can be ready and prepared for the day. We also talked about, uh, sorry, let me go back. <laughs> let there be less light. We talked about how light affects the circadian rhythm and how your body gets a surge of waking energy toward the end of the day. That is what kept our, pre our uh, ancestors alive because it hurried them gave them energy to hurry at the end of the day to get themselves into shelter and into safety. Um, but that happens later in the day now because we're staring at lights all day and that affects our circadian rhythm. So we want to reduce that. We want to eliminate light the last couple of hours a day as much as we can so that we don't get that surge of waking energy. Uh, see the message through the medium was idea number three. The medium is the message was the quote that we got from Marshall McLehan from the 1960s, who noticed that TV was changing how we viewed things. The phone has also changed how we viewed things. And the medium in which we take in content changes how we view the content itself. Lastly, mind wandering equals mind winning. We want to be able to give our minds time to create new ideas, make connections between new ideas do mental time travel and all of that good stuff so that we can be better and be have clear minds and have better focus, which is what the book is all about. Um, today, we have one big idea that we're going to talk about, overcoming the magic of manipulation. Now, the reason that we're only going over this idea today is because it will take up that much time as I was reading the two chapters about this, uh, chapters six and seven, the rises of technology that, tra uh, that track and manipulate us, the rise of technology that track and manipulate us, that's chapter six and seven of the book. Um, as I was reading this, I was getting more and more angry. And while, um, well, I'll, I'll dive into my thoughts about business here as we go through this day, but a lot of it is because of business and because of how business can be used for good or it can be used for evil and how so much of big business is, I don't, I don't want to say 
purposefully used for evil because I do believe that most people do things because they believe it's the right thing to do. But a lot because the structure of the organization and because of the structure of our economic world, organizations are encouraged to do things a certain way. So that's challenging whenever you want to believe that business is done for good and that business can be done for good and that it should be there to serve society. Um, but like I said, we'll get into more of that as we get into today's episode. Uh, first, let's start off. Uh, let's start at the very beginning as homegirl from whatever the movie is would say. What's that movie? That's terrible. I can't remember this. Uh, let's no. Let's start at the very beginning. Jeez, uh, old Pete. You probably don't know it because the book, the movie's from like the fifties or sixties. Uh, Sound of Music. Yes, it's a musical, and I know it. It's because Kate loves the loves the movie. Let's start at the very beginning. It's it's the beginning of one of the songs in in the movie. The name of the movie is The Sound of Music. One of the songs in there starts with, let's start at the very beginning. At any rate, I'm glad we got that figured out. So let, <laughs> let's start at the very beginning. Um, in chapter six, he Johan begins with a conversation with a guy named Tristan Harris. Tristan was in a Netflix doc documentary called The Social Dilemma. If you have been around the world lately, you have at least heard of the documentary or maybe you watched the documentary. It was or is about how social media companies are shaping our lives and how they use certain strategies to get us to do certain things, which we'll see today. Tristan Harris was part of some of those companies, as we'll see here. Um, he attended Stanford in 2002, he attended a class at Stanford done at Stanford's Persuasive Technology Lab, which was led by a professor who goes by the name of B.J. Fogg, who also wrote a book called Tiny Habits, which is a great book, by the way. Um, the purpose of the lab or the purpose of the class was helping designing, helping to design technology that changes behavior without you even knowing you were being changed that changes behavior without you even knowing you were being changed. Uh, one of the successes that came out of this particular class, some of the students that were actually in this class with Tristan in 2002, um, created a little app called Instagram. You may or may not have heard of it, or it may or may not have changed your life over the last couple of years. At any rate, uh, so... Tristan got excited about this class because he was a big fan of magic. And when he heard that it, the class was kind of based around changing the behavior of people through quote unquote magic, um, he got excited about it, took the class and he started to question the class when toward the end of one of the classes, uh, the professor asked, what if we had a profile or maybe it wasn't the professor, maybe it was the students in the class. Uh, what if we had a profile for everyone on earth? What if we had a profile for everyone on earth? This got Tristan asking, um, are we going down the right path or are we going down a scary path? 
Um, so he was young at the time, so he just kept going. And in 2011, uh, I don't think that's when he got the job at Google, but at any rate, he landed at Google and he worked at the Googleplex in Palo Alto, California. That's their main headquarters. And um, he talks about, or Johan puts a quote from Tristan uh, about his experience at Google. And it kind of expands on this idea of behavior and changing behavior, if you will. So I'm going to go ahead and read that quote directly from the book. So here's Tristan Harris talking to an audience. He says, I want you to imagine walking into a room, a control room with a bunch of people, a hundred people hunch over a desk with little dials. And that that control room will shape the thoughts and feelings of a billion people. This might sound like science fiction, but this actually exists right now, today. I know, because I used to work in one of those control rooms. So his experience at Google showed him that this idea of manipulating behavior was very real. And that while probably people weren't sitting in front of dials, they're sitting in front of computers but you can imagine the computers as dials. Those computers are being used and changing the programming of the software to help shift the way that we think and the way that we behave. So again, I realize that this seems like science fiction and it seems like, well, that can't be totally right. Although I do think that with the release of Social Dilemma particularly and just some of the things that have happened over the last couple of years, particularly with Facebook and with Google as well, um, that I think we're starting to see hints of this popping through. And I think we're starting to see that these companies are kind of being exposed for some of the things that they have been doing. Um, I think it's worth answering two questions to help understand what's going on here. Number one, why would companies want to manipulate society? Why would they want to manipulate behavior in the first place? And number two, how is this manipulation happening? How, like, what's actually going on? These, what's, what's happening, which we'll see, is these companies are using our inner built uh, workings, if you will, against us to change the way that we do things or to make us do things that the companies want us to do. So first, let's answer the question, why and to answer the question why we have to go back to tristan harris and we have to go back to google and we have to look at what tristan saw was their main driver their main driver as tristan saw it or as tristan realized was um as johan puts in the book at google he quickly learned success was measured in the main by what was called engagement which was defined as minutes and hours of eyeballs on the product. More engagement was good, less engagement was bad. This was for a simple reason. The longer you make people look at their phones, the more advertising they see, and therefore the more money Google gets. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. So in my notes here, I put next to why, I put economic growth versus social growth. So I'm a big believer in business as good. You might call it community capitalism. I don't know what you would really call it. 
Um, but most of what we see or most of what, what big organizations do is economic capitalism. This is brought about, this was mainly brought about, not only, but uh, this was mainly brought about by a guy named Martin Friedman back in the 1970s, whose main idea for an organization was to maximize shareholder profit. In other words, it wasn't to maximize the impact on the culture and the community. It wasn't to maximize the outcome for the consumer. It was to maximize shareholder profit. In, in other words, the people who own the stock of the company it is to maximize the profit of the stock of the company. Now, most big organizations, especially publicly traded organizations, still followed this belief, if you will. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of good information. And most of the people that work in these organizations, um, if not all of them, again, I believe most people do things because they believe that it's the right thing to do. So when I say this out loud, I don't mean it saying like these are evil people and they're like people just follow incentive. And because they follow incentive and there's this big belief that business is about maximizing shareholder value, what's going to happen is that business is going to move toward that belief. So with that focus on economic growth, these technology companies need engagement. They, they need it. Literally, if you're not staring at a phone or staring at a laptop or staring at a screen of any sort, literally, like you need to be on a screen in order for any technology company to make money. Except, I mean, I'm sure there's other examples, like Amazon has some brick and mortar out there, but even with Amazon, like you need to be, you order on a screen and you need to be staring at a screen. With Google, you need to be searching. With YouTube, you need to be watching. With Facebook, you need to be scrolling. Like you need to be on a screen. Less time you're on the screen, less opportunity they have to make money. It is literally that simple. So there are two ways in which engagement is important to them. Number one, is through advertising. Uh, I think this is very simple. I think most of us understand this part of it. When you search something something on Google, the, the top couple results say they say ad, and so they're at least open about it. But those are sponsored ads, and those are companies that are paying Google, and they get paid per click or paid per view or whatever it is. Same thing in Facebook. Facebook will show a sponsored ad and they get paid per click or get paid per sale, not, not sale, but they get paid per click, per landing view or whatever it is. Um, and same thing with every other social media platform. Same idea, advertising. Okay, that's one way that uh, engagement is important and one way they make money through uh, more engagement. Way number two, which is a little scarier, is by having better voodoo dolls. So what do I mean by better voodoo dolls? Well, let me find my spot in my notes. I'm trying not to stare at my notes too much so Jonna doesn't yell at me while I adjust myself accordingly. I'm going to take a drink out of my wonderful Thrivology mug. Better voodoo dolls. So at this point in our story, it's worth bringing in another player in the social media game, a guy named Aza Raskin. Excuse me if I'm not saying that name right. Uh, if, you're, if I'm not, not saying your name right, Aza. I'm not assuming that Aza is watching this by any stretch, but in case you are, uh, I apologize for not saying your name right. Uh, 
Nonetheless, Azal Raskin created the code for what is called Infinite Scroll, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, Voodoo Dolls. So Azal was also in the social media world. He created, like I said, a code that pretty much revolutionized social media. And when he was explaining this idea of engagement and why companies need in so much engagement to Johan, here's how he explained it. He said, inside of Facebook servers, inside of Google servers, there is a little voodoo doll. It is a model of you. It starts by not looking much like you. It's sort of gen uh, a generic model of a human, but then they're collecting all of your click trails, everything you click on, everything you search for, every little detail of your online of your life online, be that emails that you send, be that searches that you do, be their links, like I said, links that you click on, so on and so forth. They're reassembling all that metadata you don't really think is meaningful so that doll looks more and more like you. Then when you show up, for example, on YouTube, they're waking up that doll and they're testing out hundreds of videos against the doll, seeing what makes its arms twitch and move so they know it's effective and then they serve that to you. So essentially what's happening is that with everything that you do online or on a particular platform, they're, they're literally taking all of that from, you, from, from your interaction with the thing and bundling it into you, into a, a quote-unquote voodoo doll of you. And then they're slowly serving things back to you that they think are going to keep you engaged on the platform and potentially keeping you potentially selling you something from time to time. Uh, an example of that is the listening idea. So you've probably been in a scenario where you had a conversation one day and then the next day you found in your Facebook feed that that thing popped up in your Facebook feed. Maybe you were talking about, I don't know, a special, some sort of curling iron or something. I don't know why that pops into my head. Um, and then the next day, the curling iron was in your Facebook feed. Oh my gosh, it's so scary. They must be listening. Well, Azad tells us that it would actually be less scary if they were listening. Um, what's actually happening is that they actually know you that well. They actually have so much information on you and have you narrowed down so much that they just happen to serve you the right thing at the right time, which is kind of scary. Um, so this is also why these organizations sell you cheap or free offerings because they equal more surveillance. A couple of examples are that Johan uses in the books, uh, Google maps, for instance, Google spends, I can't tell you how many hundreds of millions, probably potentially billions of dollars a year on Google maps. And yet it's free. Why is it free? Because when you search on there, they get information from you. Um, other cheap offerings are Amazon devices and Google devices, things to think about. Why is a Amazon tablet so cheap? Why is an Amazon fire stick so cheap? Why are Google devices so cheap? Well, it's because whenever they sell them to you, they get to get more information from you and then they can serve you up things in your feed or in other ways to, uh, make money off of you. So that is very, that. A particular section of the book or those particular bits of information from the book were very, very eye-opening. Again, I think we all maybe think about this and maybe understand it to some degree, 
But unless you actually dig into some of the information and literature, you kind of you kind of just go, ah, okay, well, that might be happening, but oh well, I'm just going to ignore it. Um, but the idea of the voodoo doll kind of, I don't know, opened my eyes a little bit. Um, so that's that's the why. That's why these companies need engagement and why they work so hard for engagement. How is a, another story in and of itself. So how are these companies doing this? How are they changing our behavior? How are they keeping us engaged? Well, they do this through, uh, I'll say, Johan kind of covers three basic areas. One is reinforcement, two is reduced friction, and three is anger. So in, uh, I want to say maybe the 1950s or so, I don't remember precisely, that's terrible, uh, Harvard professor B.F. Skinner came up with the idea that human beings can be reprogrammed um, if given the right reinforcements. In other words, we move towards things that make us feel good or that we're reinforced for, and we move away from things in which make us feel bad or where that make us feel hurt or whatnot. So social media companies took this to heart and they reinforce our behavior in ways to make us want to interact more on platforms. A couple of examples are things like likes. 
or hearts or comments or shares or retweets. I'm sure there's plenty of other examples out there, but all of those are just positive reinforcements. They are an idea that the human being can be manipulated to do a behavior if you just reinforce the behavior, which thus far has been proven correct. The second way that companies use, um, I'm sorry, that companies manipulate us and manipulate our behavior is through reduced friction. So I talked about Azar Raskin. I talked about how he was the person who cre created the code for something called infinite scroll. Well, infinite scroll, let's, let's rewind a little bit first. When Facebook first came out, it had a feed, if I remember correctly, and you went to the bottom of the feed. And once you got to the bottom, you had to click to the next page. And then you got to the bottom of that page, and then you had to click to the next page, and so on and so forth. And eventually, you would actually run out of feed, if you will. Well, what Azaa created or developed was the code to eliminate the click. So now when you scroll, you are just scrolling. You don't have to click anywhere. You don't have to go to the next page. You just scroll. That was not a thing always. That's somewhat recent. I can't tell you when that was developed. It's been in the last 10 years, I believe. But now it's on pretty much every social media platform. That thing alone, infinite scroll, uh, adds about 50% more engagement time and this is an interesting statistic. Uh, we have lost 200,000 more human lifetimes spent scrolling every day because of infinite scroll. 200,000 more human lifetimes spent scrolling every day because of infinite scroll. So if we didn't have infinite scroll, in other words, if all we had to do was click page two, <laughs> then there would be 200,000 less lifetimes spent scrolling a day if all we had to do is click page two. Another idea of reducing friction is autoload. So if you're, you've ever watched a video on Netflix or on YouTube or anything at this point, the something will pop up at the, on the right of the video that you're watching and it'll be a countdown to the next video. I think in Netflix now it's like five seconds or 10 seconds that whatever the number is, they have that number calibrated very deliberately. If it's too long, then it's more likely that you're going to lose interest and move on and go do something else. So they automatically load the next video so that, guess what? You don't have to do it. Reduce friction. So these things are put in there very deliberately. And then the last thing that they utilize is something called the is they work against something or work with, I'll say, something called the negativity bias so that we develop more anger in general, but also with society. Negativity bias is very interesting. So negativity bias says that human beings in general tend to pay more attention to negative things than they do positive things. They tend to watch negative videos longer than they do positive videos. This has to, this goes back to an evolutionary adaptation when 10,000 years ago or hundred thousand years ago, we had to pay attention to the quote unquote negative things, lion, tigers, and bears. Oh my, 
If we didn't pay attention, then it was less likely that we were going to live to the next day. Maybe a harsh way to put it, but it was potentially the truth. So that's an evolutionary process that is built into us to pay attention to negative things. And social media companies, technology companies know this. So they use it against us, if you will. Um, one example that Johan uses in the book is the progression of YouTube videos toward a more outrageous video. So if you start with a video that is just a basic, um, I think he uses like a video of information about the Holocaust, for instance. And all you want is just like an explanation, a basic explanation of what the Holocaust was. Well, at the end of that video, they'll recommend, of course, videos after that. And those videos are going to be slightly more outrageous, more outlandish ideas. And then at the end of those videos, there's going to be more videos recommended. And those are going to be even more outrageous and so on and so forth. So literally, they're becoming more and more uh, intensified, if you will, to kind of take, a, take uh, control of this negativity bias so that we pay more and more attention and watch videos longer um, and watch more and more videos. Uh, he also quotes or references a, an in, in, oh man, I'm stuttering all of a sudden, an internal Facebook study. So let me get to the page real quick. Uh, Facebook put together their own internal group, if you will, to study the impact of their algorithm. The group was called Common Ground. This is their own group of engineers that they put together. Um, and basically, they would just wanted to see the outcome, like what, what was their algorithm leading people to? And here's what the Common Ground group found. They said that our algorithms exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness. And if left unchecked, the site would continue to pump its users with more and more divisive content in an effort to gain user attention and increase time on the platform. Those were words that came out of emails from uh, this Common Ground group that were sent to Mark Zuckerberg. When Mark Zuckerberg got those, he said, uh, and I quote, he was losing interest in the effort to recalibrate the platform in the name of social good, asking that they not bring him something like this again. I don't really know what to say. Um, again, I believe that most people do things because they believe it's the right thing to do. But incentives are incentives, and when you are focused on economic growth over social growth, you're going to do things differently than you would if you were focused on social growth. That is just the way that it is. Okay, that was a lot of information to cover. Like I said, that's one idea out of the 10 that we will end up reviewing for this whole series. But I think that, I believe it was worth going over in depth because while there are probably a lot of conspiracies out there that aren't quote-unquote true, there are also a lot of conspiracies out there that do have... Actually, I would, I would venture to say that most, if not all, conspiracies have a nugget of truth in them. Not that I tend to believe a conspiracy theorist, per se, but... 
there's a lot of conspiracies out there about social media and technology in general that have nuggets of truth in them. And this was just an exposure of some of that, those nuggets of truth that, that were truth and that were brought forth by some people who were involved in a lot of these companies um, that exposes how these technologies can be used and have been used thus far to expose our weaknesses, which is exactly what's happening. We all have weaknesses. We are all human beings. Welcome to the world. That's what we are. So all that we can do is use our strengths to overcome our weaknesses as much as we can. Our strength in this instance is our bouncer, our brain bouncer, our prefrontal cortex, trying to do things as deliberately as possible so we don't get wrapped up in all of this madness, if you will. We don't get wrapped up in social media's effort to reinforce our behavior, to reduce friction, to increase our anger so that we feel like everyone around us is angry, which is not the truth at all. It's just the way that social media and technology makes it feel, makes it feel like the world is dangerous when in fact it is, especially in America, but I think in the world in general, like violence is at its lowest level ever in history, but we don't feel that way because we see violence everywhere on social media platforms. So uh, nonetheless, that's our idea for the day. Magic, overcome the magic of manipulation. There's a lot to think about in this one, um, but it is worth it is worth taking seriously because although a lot of these people are doing things for the sake of hoping to do some good. It seems that there's a good amount of it that has caused divisiveness in our society. And if we can overcome that as a society, then we can start to figure out a way to move forward. All right, I usually don't eat in these things so somberly, but nonetheless, here we are at the end of this episode. If you want these notes, make sure you go to thrivology.us slash goodwolfbooks. Also, make sure that you subscribe, hit that subscribe button. And until next time, my friends, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.